All Talks of Life with Chris Viniquest. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All Talks of Life with Chris Viniquest. This is the pilot episode. I thank you for tuning in to the debut of All Talks of Life. I welcome you into the show and want to let you know that on this show, on this podcast, we will be talking about anything and everything. We'll be talking Bible mostly, but we'll talk about sports. We're going to talk about politics, current news, past news. We'll talk about current sports, past sports. We'll talk a lot about boxing, basketball, baseball, football, WWE, MMA, UFC. We're going to talk all kinds of sports, current and past. We're going to talk about family, life, lessons, social media, internet, things of that nature, just everything, all realms of life. I want to talk about anything and everything with you. But I want to talk I want to talk about it through a biblical lens. That's what I want to do. That is my aim to talk to you through a biblical lens on all things life. So that's why the show is called All Talks of Life. With yours truly, Chris Beniquez. For those of you who don't know me, I thank you for tuning in. You want to know a little bit about me? I'm a 34-year-old male. Born in the city of New York. Born and raised in New York City. 34 years here. Beautiful wife. Beautiful children. Three of them to be exact. Wonderful church family. Known the Lord Jesus. For 20 years now. And it's been great knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been great knowing the person who I'm going to talk about today, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the lead off and debut segment. And I can think of no better way to debut this show than to speak about the greatest person on this earth today, the Holy Spirit of the living God. But we're also going to talk some sports today. And I'm going to talk to you about the 2000 World Series, but I'll be doing it with my best friend from Denver, Pennsylvania. Jose Gonzalez so stay tuned for that we're going to talk about my favorite baseball topic of all time the 2000 World Series the Subway Series so we're going to talk some sports but first I want to talk to you some Bible and what better way to start off the show what better way to debut the show than to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit not an it, not a force, not what people say in other religions, that it is something. No, he is someone. He is the power of God. He is the Holy Spirit, a true friend, one that is there for you at all times. So a question that people ask a lot is, who is the Holy Spirit? And I'll say this. I have some notes here from a book that I've been reading that I will share with you about the book and its author shortly. But the note says, 
The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father and the Spirit of God the Son. He is the power of the Trinity. So right off the bat, we get to know that the Holy Spirit is from God the Father and is from God the Son. Right off the bat, we get to know that the Holy Spirit is equal with God and equal with Jesus. He is God. He is the Spirit that comes from God. So the very nature of God is this Holy Spirit. He is wonderful. He is the third person in the Trinity. He is the power. All right. So a question that I get a lot is, well, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? A question that I had was, what is the job of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? You know, I he's just like goosebumps or he a feeling or a thought or what is the Holy Spirit? What is he? Who is he? So the job of the Holy Spirit says like this in the notes that I have. The task of the Spirit is to bring into being the commandment of the Father and the performance of the Son. To understand the job of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand the work of the Father and the Son. God the Father is the one who gives the command. He has always been the one who says, let there be. From the beginning, it has been God who gives the orders. The note goes on to say, It is God the Son who performs the commands of the Father. When God the Father said, let there be light, God the Son came and performed it. Then, God the Holy Spirit brought the light. So, let me illustrate it to you this way. If I asked you, can you turn on the light? Three forces will be involved. First, I would be the one to give the command. Second, you would be the one who walks to the switch and flips it. So in other words, you're the performer of the command that I gave. But finally, the question is, who brings on the light? It's not me. It's not you. It's the power, the electricity. That is what produces the light. So I could tell you, go turn on that light. You flip the switch. But inside that switch, there's cables and electricity and power running through that. And that's what turns and keeps the light on. Is what's inside of that switch. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, to bottom line it, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Father operates, the Son administrates, and the Holy Spirit manifests. So again, I tell you, turn on the light, you walk over, flip the switch. But what is inside is actually the power that turns it on and keeps it on. So God said, let there be. Jesus performed it. The Holy Spirit made it to manifest to our eyes. He's the one that does the work. Okay. So now we know the job of the Holy Ghost. So then, another thing that, that we run into is that we say, does the Holy Spirit speak? Because the misconception is that 
is that the Holy Spirit is an it. And he is not an it. He's a person. He's a wonderful person. And he speaks quite powerfully. So, another note I have. It says in the New Testament, there were only three times that God actually spoke. We see this in Matthew 3.17. We see this in John 12.28. And we see this in Matthew 17.5. 17, at the transfiguration. Now. God spoke. Obviously. But. How did God speak? So. I'll give you another illustration. Isaiah. Chapter 6. Verse 9 and 10. It says this. Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing. But do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their ears and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and return and be healed. That's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. So who was really speaking? Was it God? Or... Was it the Holy Spirit? Let's look at it from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, 25 to 27. The Apostle Paul, he comes and he rightly interprets this. And he says, the Holy Spirit rightly through Isaiah the prophet said to our fathers. And he goes on to repeat. What Isaiah 6, 9 and 10 says. So Paul clarifies that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah the prophet. So it was God who gave the command to his son to give to the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah the prophet the same way that he speaks through preachers and teachers and singers that you see wherever you see them and hear them. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. The Holy Spirit received a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said while he was here on earth that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak of himself, but he'll speak of what he hears. So the command that Jesus hears from the Father, he tells the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost tells us. So it is the Holy Spirit that makes the voice of God clear in our lives. That's the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. He makes that voice of God clear and known to us. Just like he did with Isaiah the prophet. Just like he did to the Apostle Paul. Okay. So we know that the Holy Spirit speaks. How else do we know that the Holy Spirit speaks? We know that the Holy Spirit uses man. So you hear my voice box right now. But I am being used by the Holy Spirit because I don't need to brag about myself and I don't need to talk about myself. I need to talk about what he wants me to talk about. So this is the Holy Spirit using this voice box to talk to you. He uses people. There's another great thing that I found out about the Holy Spirit. And I'll share with you. 
with another note that I have here. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says like this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So the Apostle Paul here, he was, he was talking to the church in Corinthians. And he wrote in the second letter in the 13th chapter, the 14th verse, something that really catches my eye. It says, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, we answer the question. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the job of the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit speak? But, there's another question here. Does, is the Holy Spirit our friend? You hear a lot of people say, Well, God is my friend. He was a friend of Abraham. And Jesus is my friend. He was here on earth and he's my friend. And Jesus is the best friend you could ever have. Of course. But they always forget about the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm bringing this teaching today. Because I don't want nobody to forget about the Holy Spirit. There's a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. And it's all about the Holy Spirit because a lot of people have forgotten the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. How important he is. So that's why I wanted to start this debut episode off with talking about the importance of the person of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So the word communion, what does it mean? I got some notes here. There's seven meanings for the word communion. First, the word communion means presence. God the Father's desire for you is that the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit will be with you. Second, it means fellowship. You don't need to pray the Holy Spirit. To, you don't need to pray to the Holy Spirit. You simply fellowship with Him. Third, it means sharing together. You pour out your heart and He pours out His. So you have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. You share your joys, and he shares his. In Acts 15, the apostles wrote to the believers in Antioch, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So that means that the Holy Spirit was sharing a relationship and a conversation daily with the apostles, the same way he does with me and you. But you got to seek out that relationship. you got to seek out that communion with the Holy Spirit. Okay, fourth, communion means participation with. Fifth, it means intimacy. Sixth, int it, it means friendship. You see, the Spirit longs to be your closest friend, someone with whom you can share the deepest secrets of your heart. That's real friendship. That's communion with the Holy Ghost. And the seventh and last note I have about the word communion. It means comradeship. In Greek, the word means commander. So, the Holy Spirit is like a captain, a ruler, or a boss. But here's the great thing. He's a loving and a friendly one. And the same way that the Holy Spirit instructed the apostles where they should go and where they shouldn't, we got to allow him to rule the personal affairs of our life. Let's remember, since Christ departed earth, the Holy Spirit is in charge here on earth.
All right. So, so a question that people have. A question that I had. Is the Holy Spirit God? Absolutely. 100%. The Holy Spirit is God. Now you say, how can you prove that to me through the word of God? How can you go to the Bible and prove to me that the Holy Spirit is God? I've seen that there's the Father, that there's the Son, and that there's the Holy Spirit. I know that there's a relationship with God and Jesus, but how is there a relationship with the Holy Spirit? When it comes to God and when it comes to Jesus, all three together. All right. Is the Holy Spirit God? Of course. Job 33, 4, if you open your Bible, it says this. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. So, what was Job saying? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, made him. He is the architect of our lives, of our bodies. He is the creator. People just thought that it was God who was the creator. I know what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Definitely, God created it. But the Holy Spirit is God. If he wasn't God, Job would not have said the Spirit of God has made me. So the Holy Spirit is a creator. Because the Holy Spirit is God. Just as God is the Spirit. Alright. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Let me give you something else. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Did you read that, that first line right there? 2 Corinthians 3.17 The Lord is the Spirit. So Paul was telling the people in, Corinthian, in, the, in the Corinth church, The Lord is the Spirit. The Spirit is the Lord. So now we find out, yet again, the Holy Spirit is God. And wherever the Holy Spirit is, wherever God is, there's freedom in Him. In a little bit, I'll talk to you about how to receive Him. But we continue on with the question, is the Holy Spirit God? Okay. Acts 5. Go to your Bible. Acts 5. Verse 3 and verse 4. Then Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to deceive the Holy Spirit? And keep part and keep back part of the proceeds of the land. Alright, so we know the story. Ananias and Sapphira, they went, they sold their house, and they told Peter, All of the proceeds that we have from selling this house are going to go to the church. The people who need it, the poor who need it. That was, was, that was in their hearts. And they said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give all the money. But something happened. The lying, deceiving devil came in and tricked them into telling Peter that they were going to give this much. We sold the house for X, but we're going to give Y. And all of a sudden, Ananias and Sapphira, they come to Peter 
and they say, okay, we sold the house for this much money. And here's all the money. But the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and told them that wasn't what they got for the house. They're lying. And Peter goes on to tell them, he said, you did not lie to men, but to God. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 4. So, in verse 3 he says, Why has Satan filled your heart to deceive the Holy Spirit? And in verse 4 he says, You did not lie to men, but to God. So he is saying, You lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. People, the Holy Spirit is God. He's not someone you put in a corner. He's not someone that you shove aside. He's God Almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He's God. He's God. Peter said, you did not lie to men but to God. And we know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They died. They were carried out. They were buried because they lied to God, the Holy Spirit. Now, an interesting question that's brought up is, did Jesus, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Okay. So I'll read to you Hebrews 9, 14. It says, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Now the writer in Hebrews is here talking to the Jews and he's saying that Jesus Christ offered himself on the cross for you and me for the remission and forgiveness of our sins through the Spirit of God. So it was the Holy Spirit who carried him all the way to the cross, that led him all the way to the cross. The book of Luke says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to fast and to be tempted by the devil. So, the question arises, could Jesus have sinned while he was here on earth? I believe so. But Jesus had the Holy Spirit. Jesus always relied every second of his life, relied on the Holy Spirit of God, relied on God himself. So you say, what? Jesus could have sinned. Jesus never sinned. And I say, yeah, Jesus never sinned. Of course he did not. He's the perfect Lamb of God. He was given unto us. His perfect blood was shed for us. And he died for us. And he forgave our sins. And he's the only one who could do it because he's perfect. He was and is and always will be perfect. But the power of the Holy Spirit was the one guiding and leading his life to purity. So, Jesus was subjected to this earth because Jesus, the body, the man, was got tired. He slept. He slept on the boat. He wept. He wept in John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus, he ate. We saw the Last Supper. So, Jesus... He was subject to this world, just like you, just like me. We eat, we bleed, he bled, we breathe air. He had to pray, just like we got to pray. 
The Bible says that he sweated when he prayed in the garden to Gethsemane. We sweat. So he's, he was a man, just like us. So he could have sinned. A note that I have from the book. It says this. Had the Holy Spirit not been with Jesus, he may have likely sinned. That's right. It was the Holy Spirit who was the power that kept him pure. He was not only sent from heaven, but he was called the Son of Man. And as such, he was capable of sinning. The fact that he does not, does not mean that he could not. I'll repeat it again. Jesus was called the Son of Man. And as such, he was capable of sinning. The fact that he did not sin does not mean that he could not. Just because Jesus didn't sin doesn't mean that he could not have chosen to sin. But the power of the Holy Spirit that he always obeyed led him to stay pure. Here's another note from the book. If you believe that Jesus was not able to sin, then why would Satan waste his time tempting him? The devil knew what he was doing. Without the Holy Ghost, Jesus may have never made it. Alright. So I want to get to my last note here. My last point about the Holy Ghost. You may ask... How do I receive the Holy Spirit? And I say simple. Simple. It starts with salvation. It's simple. Okay. Some people say, How do I become filled with the Holy Spirit? If I speak in tongues, is that the sign? I tell you, that's one of the signs. But it is not the sign. That is evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But the number one way to know that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, that I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, is to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you your sin and cleanse your heart. If you don't believe that, then you can't understand the Trinity and you can't understand the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you Titus chapter 3 verse 5 to 7. It says, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That right there is Titus, chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Paul was letting Titus know, that the Lord Jesus saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So, God saved us by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ that led him up on that cross to shed his blood through that love that he has for us. All right. So now we know Jesus Christ Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. 
I've answered all these questions. Obviously, there are many more, but I just wanted to bring you a couple. Some that I thought were important to lead off with the show. And now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, for those of you who are listening that are saved, that have the Holy Spirit, amen, help me here. But for you, for those of you who don't, and you say, how do I receive everything you talked about today? I'll tell you right now. Just repeat after me and say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Seal me with the promise of your Holy Spirit. Right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So you just ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, and to regenerate you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's what it takes to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, get your Bible, read about Him, pray, ask Him so that you could know Him, ask Him to show you about Him, to teach you about Him, and get yourself to a church. A church that loves the Holy Spirit, that is led by the Holy Spirit, that believes in the Holy Spirit. A church that is full of the Holy Spirit. Alright? So, when I come back, I'm going to be talking with Jose Gonzalez, my best friend from Denver, Pennsylvania. And we're going to be talking about my favorite baseball topic of all time. The 2000 World Series. I pray that you were blessed by the first and debut segment of All Talks of Life with Chris Beniquez. When I come back, the 2000 World Series with Jose Gonzalez. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. All Talks of Life with Chris Beniquez. I pray that you enjoyed our first segment. But right now we're getting into our second segment, our sports segment. And today I'm going to get into what well, we're going to get into, my favorite baseball topic of all time. And I'm going to do this with my brother from joining us from Denver, PA right now, the host of a little bit of this and a little bit of that, is my brother Jose Gonzalez. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up, my brother? How you feeling today, man? I'm feeling great because we're talking about this topic right here. <laughs> yeah, man. The 2000 World Series, Subway Series, man. Good times, man. Definitely, definitely good times. For those of you who don't know, Jose Gonzalez, my brother, he lives out in Denver, PA, but he used to live out here in the city. And while this series was going on, he was in the thick of it. Now, he has an interesting story. It's a little something that people probably wouldn't see coming. But it's, it's really interesting. It's really good. And we're definitely going to talk some 2000 World Series. But we're going to talk about his experience during the five games. And I just, I, I'm just excited for this, bro, honestly, because this is my favorite baseball topic. For me, this is the best win in the history of the Yankees dynasty, the Yankees' entire 27 championships. I don't know if you feel the same way. But I know that for me, this is the most satisfying win of all time. Uh, do you have, you got one that's better? 
Well, obviously it's up there. You know what I mean? When you got that um, crosstown rivalry, you know, with those bums out there, um, you, you definitely say, yo, this is one of the top ones. But obviously, like you made that mention, obviously I made, I, I moved, I made the move out here um, to Pennsylvania. And in 2009, man, that was a little bit more sweet for me just because I felt like I was a, the only Yankee fan out here when they went against the Phillies. It just felt really good to rub it in. All these dudes that basically don't have the baseball um, championship repertoire like we do. Right. Um, and talking about the 2009 World Series, we'll, we're definitely going to get into that. For Something I want to let people know is that my brother, Jose Gonzalez, this is going to be my most frequent guest on the show. Now, my show, All Talks of Life with Chris Beniquez, sometimes you hear me by myself. A lot of times you're going to hear me with a guest, you know, somebody that has biblical knowledge and sports knowledge as well, or either or, either just sports knowledge and no biblical knowledge. But you're going to hear different people come through. They're going to talk what they know either from the Bible, from sports, or from both. But I know that with my brother, I could chop it up on both sides. We could definitely talk Bible as we do. But today, me and him are going to talk the 2000 World Series. And, you know, I just want to lay some groundwork for everyone. So 20 years ago, obviously, we're in 2020. 20 years ago, the year 2000, uh, the New York Yankees had as manager Joe Torre. The Yankees, they won 87 and 74 that year. That was the worst regular season they had of their three-peat that we're about to talk about. And the New York Mets... They actually had Bobby Valentine, one of the more interesting characters of all time. They went 94 and 68. So they had a better they had a better regular season than we did. This series started on October 21st. The MVP of the World Series was the one and only Derek Jeter. The New York Yankees, they got to they got to the World Series by defeating the Oakland Athletics in three games. Uh, <clears throat> by defeating the Oakland Athletics in three games in the division series, and then they beat the Seattle Mariners with Crane Griffey Jr. in four, game, four games to two in the AL Championship Series. So this is the third time that the Yankees had reached the World Series in three years. This is the fourth time in fifth years, uh, five years. The Yankees had won 96. They lost 97. Uh, they, they won 98, 99. But then this year, 2000, this was the year that New York sports was on fire in baseball. Um, and th there was a lot of tension going on in the city because the city was struggling between fans of the Yankees and fans of the Mets and who was going to take over, who was going to reign, who was going to be the most dominant, from who's going who's gonna to propel to the next level in the city. So one thing I got to let people know is that this World Series – it, di it didn't rate well outside of the city. You know, mm -hmm. ratings weren't up. But in New York City, the ratings were through the roof in the city because everybody in the city was paying attention to it. Uh, baseball fans and non-baseball fans alike, they gravitated to this series. So it was a big deal here in New York City. So before we get into the series, I want to ask Jose, remembering the angst and remembering how anxious we were and remembering how it went in 2000, you know, we Yankee fans and they Met fans. Uh, what do you remember about, you know, just the, the, the tension in the city uh, for us Yankee fans? Um, obviously, you know, going into that um, series, you made that mention of the records. Um, and 
Yankees being 87 and 74 and the Mets being 94 and 68. Um, for the Yankees just coming out of just winning back-to-back chips, um, it just felt like that was a um, – that was just really challenging just to look at the way that we rolled into the playoffs. We didn't roll. It was more of limping into the playoffs. And I think for a team that went back to back, we saw uncharacteristic traits just start to develop. And um, I just was like, yo, man, I don't know, man, about this Yankee squad right now limping into the playoffs. And then you had these Mets that obviously were one of the best come-from-behind teams. And they were feeding off of that energy and momentum. And, you know, you started getting that uh, attention, you know, especially in the city, like you made a mention. Um, You know, you were like, yo, this Mets squad looks decent. They have a better record than our Yankees. Um, And it felt like they had more of an easier road to the World Series compared to us. We had to go against the young, up-and-coming Oakland Athletics. Then we also had to go against the Seattle Mariners, both teams that um, weren't to be overlooked. So I talking was about nervous. yeah, talk, talking about the the Mets road. The Mets they got to the World Series by defeating the the San Francisco Giants three games to one in the division series, and then they beat the St. Louis Cardinals four games to one in the championship series. So that's the road that Jose was talking about to get to this 2000 World Series. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was a lot of things that I was just, they had a lot of question marks. And then you also had a lot of um, off-season pickups. So, like, the David Justice, Jose Vizcaino, Luis Soho. Um, you know, they, they even had a little stint with Jose Canseco. But um, it just felt like, man, you know, like, there was a lot of things that I was seeing develop that was, like, making me feel a little concerned of us going, you know, to have the three-peat, you know, which was obviously something not done ever since, the, you know, Chicago Bulls um, dynasty in the NBA. Right. And in baseball, it hadn't been done since 1972 to 1974. And that was done by the Oakland Athletics, who we beat in the first round. But that was obviously a different team from decades ago with a different, uh, with a different bravado. Um, and obviously, as Jose just mentioned, we hadn't seen a three-peat in sports since the Bulls did it the second time. And um, this same season, this same year, we will see the beginning of what we didn't know what would turn in, into a three-peat in the Lakers. Uh, mm-hmm. They were going to run off their first championship, but we didn't know where that would end up until 2002. Mm-hmm. So the Yankees were charged with bringing the fans, not only of New York, but fans who like to see dynasties with a three-peat, with a cemented dynasty mm-hmm. since the great Michael Jordan. So there was some pressure on us, man. And, and, and Derek Jeter really showed up in the series. He was the MVP. Mariano Rivera did his thing as well. But there were a lot of key players. And, you know, before this series started, you know, as you said, in, before the year started, uh, we picked up a couple key acquisitions. But, you know, the guys on the other side, they also, they also had a couple of players. And they, they got to this World Series, and they were hot. And they had a couple guys that, that were noticeable. But when it came down to it, there were some things in the series that really stand out that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we get into this series, right, we're going into, into the 2000 World Series. We already told you the Yankees beat the Athletics and the Mariners. And the Mets beat the, the Cardinals and the Giants to get to the World Series. But now we're here. October 21st, 2000. We're here. It's a Sunday night. We're in Yankee Stadium. 
55,000 people are in attendance. And for every game, they had at least 55,000 in the seats. There were a lot of people there. The city was on fire. The city was the city so wanted this series. But there was there was something going on within the city. And there was there was a certain a certain person that actually wanted this series as well. Mm. So I just want to I just want you to explain to us the backdrop of of what was going on. Um not only in the city, but in your own household. Mm. Yeah, dude. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, I laugh, I chuckle right now, but man, at that time, I was just really confused. Um, growing up, um, being raised in a, in a house where I was being brought up as a Yankee fan. You know, you look at the early um, championship runs, you look at, um, you know, the Andy Pettits of the world, Derek Jeters, the Moles. I was introduced to those Yankee core dudes. And um, my father was the one that really, like, instilled me to, like, watching baseball. You know, because at that time I was just more of a like a basketball head, you know, Michael Jordan doing crazy things, making making a little boy want to like be like Mike, you know, um, mm-hmm. kind of like that transitional period was like, I, you know, the Mike years are over. Let's let, let's see what another sport look like, you know. Um, so my pops got me into like baseball, man, just watching the Yankees win championships, like really like. It, it did something, you know, I was like, yo, you know, like it, it had like that like familiar feeling that watching Mike win those chips. So, you know, I, I got hooked. I got connected. And I saw my, my pops just like leading the way, you know, I remember watching October baseball. My pops was just rooting for the Yanks against the Braves. You know what I mean? The Padres in 98. So, you know, you, you get all of this like, like, yeah, man, we, 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 this is a Yankee squad. This is, the, this is the Bronx Bombers, you know, that, that we watch in this house. But then something funny happened in 2000. Um, mm. You know, the Mets were on a row. And I saw my father rooting for the Mets to get to the World Series. Because obviously, in my mind, I'm like, all right, yo, a, this will be cool to see a Subway Series World Series. You know, that's something I didn't see. The city didn't see in 40-something-odd years. Um, I think the last Subway Series um, to date was the, um, the New York Giants against the New York Yankees. So um, it was just basically like, yo, a, a big hype train, you know? And then I started rooting for the Mets to get into the World Series so we could see that. So, you know, like, I'm like, all right, my pops is like rooting for the Mets to get into the World Series. Now, obviously, we still have work to do um, as, as the Yankees, you know, getting back into the momentum in the playoffs and they beat the, the Athletics. Then they, they, they had a little bit more of an easier series against the Seattle Mariners. Um, so that, that came into play. Yankees versus Mets. We were like, all right, man, you know, like, like game one, Saturday night, let's go. Um, I think this was like in the weekday. And my pops just comes out of nowhere and looks at me straight in the eye, bro. I was confused as heck. He says, my team's going to kick your team's behind. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, Yo, what? And um, said, what do you mean your team's going to kick my team's behind? What, what sport are we talking about here? And this dude goes like, the New York Mets are going to beat the New York Yankees in the World Series. And I was, wait, wait, wait. So yeah, what you're trying to tell me is that you were trained up as a child the way the Bible says, right? You were trained up as a child and you didn't you didn't stray from your way. No. But what you're saying is that the person who taught you, the person who brought you up in the Yankee way, in the Yankee lore, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just stabs you in the back, commits treason. That's what you're trying to tell me? That's what I'm telling you, brother. And I was confused. 
It felt like uh episode of the Twilight Zone, bro. I'm just like mad confused. I'm like, what the heck is going on in this house right now? Um, you know, and you know, at, at did that, you pinch yourself? Dude, like I, I'm just looking at this at, at this dude that brought me up in the Yankee way, you know, this mechanic. Um that you know, my father's a mechanic, by the way. Um you're your your mechanic, by the way. Yes, yeah, my mechanic. That's my mechanic. Um, you know, I, I said to myself, like, what is this dude like? talking about here you know like and and i was just confused my brother like i was really like just like standing in awe of this big like incognito met fan that was living in our house that was rooting for the yankees and all of a sudden this team from queens makes it to the world series and it feels like under his yankee jersey he has orange and blue wow i mean you can't make this stuff up is that, you can't. I, I'm sorry that this is a true story, but <laughs> yeah, it's something that we definitely can laugh about and definitely have something you know we have fun with because every time you know you're out here and and we go see your father, you know we we definitely remind them uh, of what happened 20 years ago. What? Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, um, well, a lot of you don't know, me and Jose. Before the coronavirus happened, we we started going to to the Yankee games um, mm-hmm. every year. At least, you know, one game he will come out here um, from Denver, PA. We started in 2018, so 2018 we went. 2019 we went, and we were gonna go again this year. We were gonna make it a, a yearly tradition that we would go to one Yankee game. He would come down here, stay over at my house, and then we would go to Yankee game mm-hmm. uh, because we love we love our beloved Yankees uh, that much that we were willing to just, you know, take out the time to go uh, hang out with each other, strengthen our relationship and our fandom for the New York Yankees. And then, you know, he would come out from 150 miles away to do it. Um, But one time we took my mechanic, his dad, Oscar Gonzalez. And the first time he had ever been in the Yankee Museum, me and Jose had been there already. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we're going around, we're seeing the Yankee Museum and, you know, I had never seen the 2000 World Series uh, trophy. And I was telling Jose the first year that we went, I said, man, I can't wait till they have this trophy. I'm going to take a picture with it. So when we went the second time, we went with his dad and they had they had the trophy there. I took a picture with it. But the, the best part about the story is that when we went, they had the 2000 ring of the Yankees championship season. And Jose's father's looking at all the rings, and he goes, man, those are nice. And then he points to one, and he says, yo, this is the nicest one. And I say, yeah, that's the 2000 one. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, forget it, forget it. No, nah, I don't, I don't want to look at it no more. <laughs> so this is, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why this is my favorite World Series of all time. Not because it was the best played on the field or anything like that. You know, there was some action. But it's because I could walk around the city of New York with my head held high, knowing that not only did we win five, but the most important one for me was the one that we're going to talk about today. Because stuff like that can happen. A Mets fan can come in into the Yankee Museum and see the ring that's the most beautiful one. They made sure they really went all out for that ring, the, 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 way, that they make it, the way that they made it look, because of who we beat. So it was just it's an impressive sight. If you ever get to go to Yankee Stadium again, who knows when you're going to be able to go. But 
when you get to go and you see the Yankee Museum, check out that 2000 ring. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight, isn't it, my man? Yeah, bro. That's one thing I'm gonna miss this year, bro. Like being able to go to Yankee Stadium, man, with you and the fam, man. Like we were going, I think, probably our third or fourth game in a row consecutively in a year. So yeah, um, big ups on that, bro. I'm gonna miss that. But yeah, um, it's just seeing that 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 championship ring, man. I remember that day. It was funny. My pops just like turned around and left the <laughs> he left the hall. Um, he did. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was it was some good times though, man. Some good times. He did, he did. Um, definitely good time. So let's get to it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. No- game one. So game one of the World Series in uh, the year 2000, Saturday, October 21st. First pitch was at 8.08. And it was Andy Pettit versus Al Leiter in game one. The Yankees mm-hmm. won that game 4-3. to three. But for the first five innings, these two, they were tossing no hit base. They were tossing no, they were tossing scoreless baseball, excuse me. But then the Yankees scored two in the sixth. The Mets scored three in the seventh. The Yankees got one back in the ninth. And all of a sudden now we're in extra innings. Hmm. The 10th goes on, scoreless baseball. The 11th goes on, scoreless baseball. So we got some free baseball going on here. But then in the 12th inning, one of the acquisitions that you spoke about in the beginning, Jose, he came up, you know, with the bases loaded, had a big hit. And he drove in Tino Martinez against Turk Wendell. Mm-hmm. And that that hit in the 12th right there got the Yankees to win and got the Yankees to win game one. Now you're sitting on the couch and all of a sudden you're watching this game. And Chuck Knobloch, you know, he hits a pop fly in the ninth and he scores a runner. And all of a sudden I know that you're a little relieved and you're saying, whoa, the Yankees. All right. We got extra baseball here to play. We're not we're not down 0-1. Mm-hmm. But in the 12th inning, all of a sudden. Now, bases are loaded. Jose Vizcaino drives in this winning run on Tino Martinez. And on the other side of the couch, I'm pretty sure that there's not a happy, there's, there's not a happy-go-lucky guy there anymore, is there? No, obviously, no, not really. Um, he didn't have a tune-up for this one. Um, he couldn't get he – could, he, he, was, he was a little mad there because obviously you missed a golden opportunity because um, going into the bottom of the ninth, you had Armando Benitez, who's the Mets closer, the Mets were up 3-2, and he couldn't close the door. Missed opportunity, actually a golden opportunity um, to to take momentum from the Yankees and basically say, yo, we here. But they couldn't get that done. My pops is mad. And um, then he wasn't, like, distraught because obviously it's one game, um, mm-hmm. game one. But um, you could tell a little a bit of an attitude there. Um, so, yeah. So – your attitude after game one. Obviously, you explained to us his attitude, but your attitude after game one. What were your thoughts? Uh, game one, bro, like, I really was like, man, I don't want to lose game one. I think game one, you got to set the tone. And the New York Yankees did that really well. Because, um, obviously, there was a lot of base running errors on the Mets' behalf where they could actually scored runs. Um, I believe there's four bad base running um, decisions made by Mets players, and that obviously has to do with, like, a lack of discipline. I think also the pressure. The lights were on. Um, going against the Yankees in the Bronx, I think all that, like, plays into um, a significant, like, mental capa- like mental breakdown because you're going against the aura of the Yankees' um, championship successes, especially in the last two years. Right. So game two is on – it's the next night, Sunday, October 22nd, first pitch at 808. It's Roger Clemens versus Mike Hampton. Game two is the most interesting one of all, though. Mm-hmm. Game two, 
Roger Clemens came out. He started. But there was a little bit of beef here, Jose. Early in the year, while the Yankees were playing the Mets, Clemens hit Mike Piazza in the head with a fastball. Yeah. And Mike Piazza, he had a concussion, and mm-hmm. he went on the DL. What they called the DL that day. Mm-hmm. Now they call it the IL, the injured list. Yeah. So all of a sudden, Mike Piazza comes up, his first time in game two. And Roger Clemens, he throws a pitch inside. Mike Piazza, he hits it, shatters the bat. You know, the ball went foul, but then the, the, the bat went toward the mound. And Roger Clemens picks up the bat, throws it at Mike Piazza. <laughs> and then after the game, he says, I thought it was the ball. I don't buy that. Get out I of know, here. I know that you don't Get buy that. Get out of here. <laughs> obviously, but, and we're Yankee fans. But, but, but there was a beef here between these two guys, and there was a beef between this team. So mm. the Yankees were already up two zip, you know, go, going into that second inning. Mm. And then Roger Clemens does something like this. So go, going into that second inning, right, we're, up, we're already up two zip. We're at home. We're already up one game to none. And then this happens. What did you think in that moment when Roger Clemens threw what he thought was the ball, which is bogus, mm-hmm. at, at Mike Piazza? Dude, I was confused. Just as, a, as I was confused with the whole my pops was a Mets fan. Um, wow. I'm like, why, why are you throwing a bat at this dude? He, he basically grounded out. Like, yeah, the bat shattered, but it wasn't intentionally. Like, you can't make a bat shatter intentionally to try to go towards a pitcher. Like, if you got that power, then I want to see that, like, happen more frequently. But you can't, you, you, can't, you can't do that. So when I see him throw the bat back at him, I'm like, yo, Roger, you had an easy, you had a, you had a easy out there, bro. Like, what are you doing? Um, but um, Roger, he just goes on, a, like, this crazy, like, rage. Um, and I was just, like, saying to myself, like, this makes no sense. So, um, yeah, from that point on, it, it felt like Roger had to, like, get focused um, back into the, the, the game, the task at hand, obviously um, getting a 2-0 um, lead against these dudes. Right. Um, well, after that, Ro- Roger really got focused. Um, he threw eight innings of uh, scoreless baseball. But in that second inning right there, in this at-bat, do you believe this was a turning point in the series? I, I think it was because the Mets felt like they had game one. Um, you know, obviously base running errors, like I was telling you about, they felt like they had game one. Game two, they actually make a big comeback, right? Five runs, I think it was, that was scored. In the, in the ninth inning. In the ninth inning. And they felt like they had their opportunities. And Mike Hampton made a very interesting comment after game two. He said, when Roger threw the bat out, all of us should have cleared the bench and, and fought for our guy. Yeah. Um, and that was like the thing that was missing with the Mets. This sense of, it felt like there was little brother versus the big brother who's always a bully that gives you the wedgies, that's putting you in the noogies. You know, like it felt like these dudes were playing against the big brother bully that they couldn't live up to those expectations to fight back. Like, no matter what you do against your big brother, you know you're not strong enough to counter the, the harassment. You know what I'm saying? And that's what was happening. Hmm. Yeah, I got you. Um, so, talking about the five runs, in the ninth inning, right, Roger Clemens is throwing a gem. Mm-hmm. He, strikes, he strikes out nine, allows no runs, only two singles. And then Jeff, Nel- Jeff Nelson comes in. He gives up 
two runs and then a single to Robin Ventura. And then Mo comes in and we're obviously, we're breathing a sigh of relief because we know what's coming. But all of a sudden, it doesn't look like what we thought was coming was coming. This ninth inning, Jay Payton hits a three-run home run and all of a sudden, we're up just six to five. Ridiculous. So you're right there on the couch and you're watching Clemens pitch a gem, bro. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure on the other side of the couch, there's a distraught brother there saying, what, are we, what am I going to do? But all of a sudden, this ninth inning gives him a little life. Dude, and man. our invincible Mariano Rivera, man, gives us a three-run jack. <laughs> and what are you thinking at the moment, man, after this Jay Payton home run? I'm like, there's no way that we're about to give this up. Um, even though seeing Mariano give up a jack um, and Nelson as well, I was like, there's no way. They they got one more run left, you know what I'm saying, to make it all the way back. And that's still like a mountain going against number 42, right? Like, right. I think that's when he thrives the the best in those moments. Like, the Kobe's of the world, the Mike's of the world. Like, they like it nice, tight, and close. Um, they don't like having a five-run lead or a four-run lead, you know what I'm saying? They want that, right. that drama. So then... So then Mariano strikes out Kurt Abbott to looking to end the game, and all of a sudden now we're up 2-0. Right. So we're up 2-0. Yankee Stadium both games. We're on our way to Shea, right across the river. What are your thoughts, and what is the emotion like and the thoughts like on the other side? Um, on the emotion, my thoughts was just like, yo, I'm in the driver's seat. I'm saying where I want to sit, 2-0. Um, back-to-back championships, when you give the Yankees that much, uh, you make mistakes against the Yankees that much, usually don't come back um, with the um, dynasty Yankees. Um, so on the other side, my father feels like, well, you know, this should either be a split um, going into Queens. So he feels a little, like, bothered. But you, you, you sense that, you know, like, there's hope because we're going back home. So, you know, it's false hope in my eyes. At that time, I was like, you know, these dudes ain't going to do nothing. But, um, you know, I was talking trash, but, like, just waiting for, for some type of, like, like just saying, yo, we, we, we're going to have a series here. Because, obviously, it was, it was a little boring to have a 2-0 lead. I, I wanted to, like, rub it in a little bit. Get, have him have false hope and then go in for the, the, the juggler. So speaking of that false hope, game three shifts over to Shea. It's El Duque versus Rick Reed. And the Mets win this one four to two on Tuesday, October 24th of 2000. First pitch was at 818. And they got off. They scored in the second. We scored in the third and the fourth. Then they came back. They scored in the sixth. But then they come and they scored two in the eighth. And all of a sudden now, it looks like it's a series. So there has to be some kind of worry in your heart or on your in your mind, excuse me, rather say that. And there has to be a little excitement right across the couch, right? Because these teams are playing across the river, but you got something a little closer right across the couch from you. Yeah. And all of a sudden, in game three, the Yankees don't look so hot. El Duque has suffered his post, his first postseason loss. We didn't hit any home runs at all in that game. And it just looked like our offense got shut down in that game and shut off. So what was the mentality? What was the thoughts? What was the emotions like in the house? 
after game three on both sides. Well, obviously, game three, my father feels like they're back in the series. Obviously, you get a win. Um, he feels like, yo, we, we, we back. Um, told you going back to Queens is the antidote to our two-game losing skid. Um, now we're about to come back on, 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 at home. We got to protect home. So you get that mentality. My pops was just feeling nice. Like, felt good, a sigh of relief. Because you go down 3-0, that's like the forbidden no, don't do in sports. Don't go down 3-0. We had to fight. And that's what you saw from the Mets. They did have fight in game three. So I, I give them that. Uh, my pops was hype. I was like, all right. I, was, I wasn't worried in my mind or whatnot because I'm like, we still got a 2-1 lead. Um, and once again, that big brother, um, and that, like, we, we definitely had that over them. Right. So then game four is Danny Nagel versus Bobby Jones. The Yanks win that one three to two in Shea Stadium again. Now we got to remember at this time, the World Series was a two, three, two format. Mm-hmm. So we're in Shea Stadium. First pitch is at 818 on Wednesday, October 25th. And but this is something a little different that I want you to talk to us about. Game four, the first pitch that comes out of Bobby Jones hands, Derek Jeter sends it deep. What are your thoughts? What's running through your mind? And obviously, is there like a dejected look on the other side already just from one pitch out of the hands of Bobby I'm a, Jones? Yeah, I'm going to tell you something, bro. The greats have an um, ability to respond. And I love watching the greats do that. Um, that ability to respond when, you know, something um, when, when, when your team loses and when your team loses, obviously the leaders feel the captains feel that it's time to put this team on my shoulders and everybody's going to go, um, you know, that, that series going into that series, um, DJ met a Mets, a Yankees fan, um, that told him, look, listen, those are the championship rings that you won in the past, throw them away if you lose against the Mets. Um, and DJ living in Manhattan was in his mind contemplating saying, I got to move from Manhattan if we, if we lose against the Mets, like that's something that cannot happen. So going into game four, he hits a solo Jack sets the tone. And basically that game, he carries the Yankees to a, a victory, um, that really basically takes the momentum right back to the Bronx bombers. And, you know, my pops looking at that shot was like, dang, man, like, you kidding me? Like, that first pitch got on them, stranglehold. And I know it was a solo jack, but it felt like a grand slam. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Got you. So then the Yankees score in the second. But then in the third is what I want to talk about, because you spoke about the greats coming up and Derek Jeter. So in the third, Derek Jeter comes up again. He hits mm-hmm. a leadoff triple, but <laughs> yeah. but then he scored on Luis Soho. You know, Luis Soho, Luis Soho had a ground up, but Derek Jeter scored. So you talk about Derek Jeter. He comes out the gate, first pitch of the game. He wastes no time, sends one into the stands. We're up 1-0. We go into the second. We're up 2-0. But then Derek comes up, gets a triple, and then he, he scores. So all of a sudden now we're up 3-0 in the third inning. We scored in every inning in the first three innings. Talk about Derek Jeter, because I think that this is the game that got Derek Jeter the MVP for the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, it got him the, the World Series MVP. And the, I think the only player 
in MLB history to win the All-Star MVP and the World Series MVP in the same year. Um, you know, he, he did a very, you know, that was a very great performance. And obviously that one game, like basically showed that, look, this, if you can embody the Yankees dynasty years, right. That one game would show it. Um, DJ being DJ, um, standing up in adversity, looking it straight in the eyes and just saying, look, listen, this is a bigger series Outside of New York City, I know, like like you said, the ratings were low and whatnot. This World Series meant a lot to a lot to a lot of people. To you, it's your favorite World Series championship. For sure, Derek Jeter took that on his shoulders, saying, "All these fans, this whole city, we can't lose this championship. We can't afford to not threepeat." Like, and with all that pressure, DJ went in. And my father, looking at DJ, noticing that he didn't have that type of player in Queens, realized something. I really do believe my father realized something, man. Like, blood was in the water. And Joe Torre, the D- Derek Jeter, you know, the core four, you know, they, they, they smelled that, you know. And it, it, my pops was in trouble, man. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now you talked about Derek Jeter and a quote that he has said that he would move out of the city if they lost. Now, I understand where he's coming from because for me, I've told you this before, and for all those that don't know me, I want you to understand the, the love that I have for the Yankees and the hate that I have for the New York Mets. <laughs> that I, for me, this is me, just Chris Beniquez, okay? I would have been happy if the Yankees won 2,000, and then the other four uh, – they, they they would not have won. I, I would be sufficed, okay? Mm. But if the Yankees had won the other four and lost this one, there would be a piece of me that would just cease to exist because I, I couldn't walk around the city of New York and show a Met fan the beautiful 2000 ring. I would have to see that at, at over there in Flushing, Queens, and that would break my heart the most. So that's why this one is my favorite World Series. It meant so much to me because I understand where Derek is coming from. You can't live in the city and say that you are number one, but then when it comes time down to it to brass tacks, mm. you, you don't have the evidence to prove it. Right, right, right. Yep. So the evidence is in the 2000 ring. That's yeah. why I say that had we won this one and then the other four wouldn't, didn't exist, I'd still be happy with the Derek Jeter run. I mean, obviously, I love that we have five. I love that we three-peated, that we did that the first time since Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. you know, and that adds to the, that adds to the Yankee lure and just continues to, to let us know and let everybody else know. We're the greatest franchise in the history of sports, and there's no doubt about it. Right. But speaking as a Yankees fan, you know, since 1995, when I saw them lose to the Seattle Mariners and Ken Griffey Jr., you know, that hurt me, but this would have hurt even more. Now, the worst memory that I have in the history of sports is the following year, in 2001, Game 7 of the World Series. But this is my favorite memory because this one right here cemented in the city of New York where I've lived for 34 years that I can walk with my head hell high and just mm-hmm. tell any Met fan, any imposter fan, that, <laughs> this, that you have no claim to this city at all. Word. And, and every time I go get my car fixed, I, I, I remind people of that. So, <laughs> you know, that so I understand where Jerry G just coming from that coming coming at that from where he would say I will have to move out of the city. It would have been an embarrassment, bro. 
I'm telling mm. you, it wouldn't have been an embarrassment. I, I know that you hate the Boston Red Sox more than these guys. Oh, yeah. But, but if, you if you were still living here, you would understand what I'm talking about. Because mm. it's, just, it, it's just that they want to continue to rear their ugly heads like in 2015, which was one of my <laughs> other favorite uh, baseball memories of all time. I watched that World Series. <laughs> Just like the way that boxing fans used to watch so for Floyd Mayweather to lose, I watched that series to watch those guys lose. And I was so happy when that, when that series was over. I was celebrating. You know, I, mm. I, I was celebrating, man. But, you know, back to here, Derek Jeter hits a home run, hits a triple. I believe that this game cements his MVP status. And as one of the all-time greats, he has a World Series MVP, uh, which is very important. You know, he has that all-star game MVP. So it, it just it, – it, 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 it increased Derek Jeter. It made him a greater uh, folk hero in this city. And I believe that this series just really catapulted Derek Jeter into another stratosphere in this city of New York mm-hmm. um, with his performance not only in game four but his overall performance in this series. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and that's why we love Derek Jeter in New York, man. Um, he, he means a lot to um, Yankee fans, bro. Definitely does. So game five goes down on Thursday, October 26th. First pitch is at 8-18. And the starters are Andy Pettit and Al Leiter. This is a rematch of game one. Now, Andy Pettit came in, you know, to the game. And he gives up two runs in the second inning. Al Leiter gives up one in the second inning. And all of a sudden now we're in the sixth. And the Yankees are down. So we enter the sixth inning, and we're down. What are your thoughts at this point? Well, obviously, with a 3-1 lead, I'm not feeling as much pressure as my father. My father's looking at this game. Now, mind you, I remember this game. My pop's at, like, this edge of your seat, like, we got to protect this run. Where, in the meanwhile, I'm looking at this saying, we up 3-1. Um, and in my opinion, as a Yankees fan, you know, obviously you want to go back to the Bronx and, you know, win, win it there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was me, you know, at that time. But like, you know, what's sweeter is like winning a championship. Now that I'm older, winning a championship on the road in their house is a lot better. Definitely. Um, it, it, it does something. It really like owns or, you know, especially in that series, it owns their, 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 their stadium. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really as, um, I really wasn't as, um, worried as my pops was. My pops was sitting on eggshells watching his ace make every pitch that he can to quality outs. And he was doing a great job. Mind you, you know, all the hate that we have, like on, on, on the Mets squad, um, um, not ill intent to, to to them, but like just like the the Mets um, ball club, you know we we did see Al Leiter pitch a heck of a game, and remind you, his pitch total was like at a buck thirty at, 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 at running on fumes. This man um, pitched a great game um, in, in in that um, at that time, but you know as we know, bro, like it wasn't enough. And my pops was sensing that. He was sensing the axe coming down. Mm. Um, and as a mechanic, he knew he couldn't fix this. Mm. <laughs> so now you talk about 
outlier and he's pitching a gem. I mean, he's pitching an absolute gem. Right. You know, through five, he allowed one run. But then, when we talk about the man again, sixth inning comes up. We're down two to one. You know who homers. It's Derek Jeter again. Mm-hmm. Was there anybody else for us? <laughs> I mean, dude, that's, that's, that's what the greats do, man. I mean, what else can you say? Derek Jeter, bro. Like, um, and, you know, at that point, you know, like, my pops was just like, man, like, like looking at my pops as a as a Yankee fan, with the comfort that he had, knowing that you had all these weapons, versus my pops as a Mets fan, hmm. you could see the desperation, man. Like, and it, it was it was hilarious. I was loving it. You know, I, I was soaking that in. I was soaking it in because I was like, this is what you get. You Benedict Arnold, you know, <laughs> this is what you get because, like, you know, you over here talking about we going to beat your teams behind, you know, and I'm looking at this dude sweating like Al Leiter was sweating in that game, mm. and I'm like, this is what you get. So, oh, my God, I, I, I just I, I wish I would have been there. I just wish I would have seen the look on his face when Derek Jeter hits that homer there up 2-1. And all of a sudden, it just it got to feel like the air was sucked out of the building. But then but then Al Leiter throws a good seventh, throws a good eighth. And all of a sudden, now we're in the ninth inning. And Al Leiter is reaching 140 pitches right now. Ridiculous. So after the game, Bobby Valentine, he says that, he he wanted to live and die without lighter that game. So obviously he didn't trust his boy. Yeah. yeah. So in the ninth, so in the ninth inning, we're tied at two, and you know, our lighter starts out good. He strikes out Tino. He gets Paul. Mm-hmm. But then he walks Jorge, Jorge mm-hmm. Posada, and then Scott Brochus hits a single. Yeah. Soho comes up. He hits a single to mm-hmm. center field, and two and two runners score. Scott Brochus and um, Jorge Posada they score. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden now we're up four two, the top of the ninth, and mm-hmm. going going into the bottom of the ninth, you know obviously the Sandman comes in. You hear that music into Sandman, and mm-hmm. we all know what's about to happen. We all know it's about to be over because we have Mo. But all of a sudden it was interesting, Jose. In the bottom of the ninth, we got our guy up, but they got their guy up. Yeah, and <laughs> this is a guy that you know. This is the guy, the catcher with the most home runs in the history of baseball. And one thing that Joe Torrey said after the game, he said, it was probably the most scared I've been in my life. This is a quote from the Seattle Times. Hmm. When Mike hit that ball, I screamed no, because anytime Mike hits a ball in the air, it's a home run in my mind. Yeah. I, I then saw Bernie trotting over for the ball. I said, wow, I guess I misread that one. So hmm. all of a sudden, the pitch comes out of Mo's hand. You hear this loud pop. Off of mm. off of Mike Piazza's, off of Mike Piazza's bat with a runner on third, mm. and it sounds like Mike Piazza's about to tie this game, and I'm pretty sure when you hear that loud pop, there's some kind of sense of relief in your father's heart. Mm. But then when you see Bernie Williams trotting forward, <laughs> and, and you hear the pop in the glove, Oh, man, my hair still stand up. That was it, Jose. It was over, man. We just won the 2000 World Series, brother. Yeah. 
And it, I, I just feel right now, 20 years later, like, like if I'm sitting there on that couch again with my father, who raised me up as a Yankees fan, who showed me the Yankees in the early 90s, and we didn't sit down and watching. We sat down and started watching Yankee playoff baseball together in 95 when we lost. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, man, you know, five years later, me and my father, who trained me up in the right way and stood that way, I didn't Word. stray and he didn't stray, you know, as Word. Proverbs 22.6 teaches us. But... <laughs> All of a sudden, man, we're we're glee. We're like, wow, this is this is amazing. We stamped it. The city is ours for sure. Nobody could talk anything anymore. And it's a three-peat. The first time since Jordan did it. But that's my side. That's my mm-hmm. story. That, that, and, I, and, there, there, there was a whole different vibe yeah, going yeah. on over there on Asher Street, wasn't there? Or, yeah, you know... In Astro Street, there was a lot of things going on, bro. Like, mind you, when Mike Piazza hit that, dude, I was watching that. My father was in back of me, right? Because I'm standing <laughs> up. On, you know, this is this is how I, I'm standing up, bro, with two outs, with a runner on, and I'm I'm standing up next to the TV, dude. I'm like, I gotta look at this. I gotta get up and watch this, and you know, as if I'm like like I'm in like I'm in um Shea Stadium, okay. and my pops was in back of me, bro. And my pops also was like sitting, like you know, set, sitting in the edge of his couch, looking at his dude, because obviously that was his Derek form of Derek Jeter. Um, and Mike Piazza hits this fly ball, kid. I'm, I look at it, I'm like, oh, he hit it, and you know that it it just dies, it dies out there. Center field, Bernie um gets the out. And my father's, like, the tone and the atmosphere in back of me, I felt it, like, down my 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 neck. I was like, yes! I was just like, I was like, yes, we did it! But then I had to understand that my pops was in back of me. And there was dead silence in back of me. <laughs> and, like, as a young man living in a grown man's house, I had to realize that there was this tension without words being said, without even looking at his body expression and back of me, I knew that this dude was sour. This dude had feelings. He was in his emotions. And I was like, do I, do I rattle the bear's cage? Do I, you know, troll this dude right now? Do I give it to this dude right now? And I think it was wise that I just was celebrating in a corner in my room what we just did to those dudes in Queens. Because if I would have went in his face and said, that's what you get, I'm pretty sure that your boy would have got grounded for a hot minute and uh, a smack in the back of my head. (laughs) (laughs) But you held the ground. You celebrated correctly, mm-hmm. and the message was sent by the New York Yankees that you wanted to send. This is our city. This is our town. Right, right. And I remember, like, the next day, I had to get that daily news. I right. had to get that daily news. So you went over there to the corner of Fulton and, and, and Ashford, and you got the daily news? Darn right. I went to my brothers out there, my Dominican Yankee brothers over there. Yes, and, uh, Francis. He's a big Yankees fan. I love that brother, man. For sure, bro. You know, um, and you know, I had to get that, bro, right there, and I, I had to get the daily news with my bagel with cream cheese. Mm. I had to go back to the house and put the paper right in the kitchen table. 
Oh, you knew your boy had to do man. that, bro. <laughs> you knew I gotta give it up to, to you, man. You went, you went, and you went to Fulton and Ashford on the corner. You got the newspaper from my boy Francis, who's a big Yankees fan, right. and and I know he was gleeful as well. But then you went to your house and you laid the paper down on the kitchen table, man. I had to, bro. Oh I mean... my god. So you were trolling before the word trolling was a word. For sure, my dude. I had to do it, bro. Like he he robbed me of that moment with his like with, with his sour attitude. And I was like, you know what, dude? I'm not letting this go. You know, yeah, you get I'm gonna give you the night of uh, of your loss to to mourn. But in the morning is a brand new day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, his weeping endured more for more than a night. I know that. <laughs> And your joy he still was feels it. He still feels it to this day, brother. You know. I, well, I know he does, man. We don't let him forget it. Twenty years later, we don't let him forget it when we see him. So, you know how that is. But you know, Bernie makes the catch. And were there any words about your father? Did he say anything to you that night? Did he say anything to anybody? Bro, as silent. I, bro, I, I don't know. The, the silence that was in that room was indescribable. Wow. Um, it was it, the, the lights were off in the living room. Um, the only thing on was the TV, um, and it felt like my father wanted to like rush me to turn the TV off. Um, <laughs> to <laughs> he didn't want me to see the presentation. Bro. <laughs> I remember that, bro. Oh God! I didn't want to see the presentation, brother. Wow. I don't yeah. blame. I don't blame. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> but, uh, I you know I, I got I got to give you props. You definitely you know saved yourself from a butt whipping. You 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 celebrated the right way, and then you trolled the right way. But it it just had to be a sight to behold. I wasn't there the next morning. But I'm pretty sure that as he looked at the front and back page, because it was all over the paper that day. Oh, yeah. That there just had to be just some kind of disbelief. And like, why did I Benedict Arnold this thing on my son? I just, <laughs> I, just I, I just can't <laughs> believe it, man. But I know, I, I, know, I know that Oscar will be listening. And, you know, we love you, brother. But you should never betray us like that. Your son, I, I know that your son still loves you. Your grandson loves you. My boy Izzy. But we're Yankee fans till the day we die. There's no treason on this side. So I just want to thank you, Jose, for taking this ride with me, this journey with us. Word. 20 years Word. ago still feels like yesterday. For sure, man. For and sure. We will, we will definitely be talking in the future, 2009 World Series. We're also going to talk May 7, 1995. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's the day that Reggie Miller scored eight points in nine <laughs> seconds. We'll talk about that. Jose has an interesting story about that, too. But we will definitely talk some Bible, my man, as well soon. Mm -hmm. So I just want to thank everybody for listening to the first episode, the pilot episode of All Talks of Life with Chris Paniquez. Jose Gonzalez, thank you, brother, for doing this. I really love you, and I appreciate you, man. God bless you, bro. I love you, kid. You already know my man, all right? All right. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of All Talks of Life with Chris Beniquez. The notes that you heard today on the Holy Spirit were brought to you 
by Benny Hinn and his book, Good Morning Holy Spirit. I want to tell you how to follow me on social. Facebook.com slash You can follow me there on my friends page or on the podcast page. Twitter at CGBins. Instagram at CG underscore Benz. Parlor app at CGBins. And obviously here on Anchor.fm. Until next time, thank you once again, and God bless you.